0: Drive by Cinema! Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun! Welcome to episode three of Drive by Cinema with me, Rick, or Richard, as you seem to call me, and my co host Paul. Hello. Hello, or oh, my other name is 8412. 841- Don't give away my meeting number. I'm going to have to beep that now, probably. <laughs> Well, I, I mistakenly call myself a Zoom meeting room number, so... so There you go. This is episode three. Do we have some corrections and omissions to deal with? Some oh, erotic... yes! Oh, a cornucopia of corrections, yes, yes, yes. But I can't remember what they are. I made a mental note, but I've forgotten them, so Richard, please go ahead. Well, I remember one of them that you seemed exercised about, and that was the fact yes. that you had claimed... That a tornado couldn't possibly pick up a person and fling them. Oh, yeah, She's <laughs> yeah, complete rot. Yes, I was I, I was troubled by that. You know, I'm a man uh, tortured by my demons. So yeah, I mean, a tornado, tornado, tornado obviously can pick people up and does pick people up and take them miles into the air. So sorry about that, everybody. If on the basis of my podcast you decided to drive into a tornado last weekend, I think it's an understandable mistake. I mean, there are several words for winds and they can be quite confusing. Yeah. So well I meant hurricane. Tornado, I meant hurricane. You you meant typhoon, didn't you? Well I said typhoon, which is the same as a hurricane. They're technically the same. They're just in different hemispheres. That's weird, isn't it? It's the same it thing is. but in different places. It's got a different name. Exactly the same thing. There is no difference. I think maybe the, the the clockwise or anti-clockwise nature of them like water down a plug hole uh, in Australia to the UK is different, but apart from that, there, are you know, they're Apart from some uh, symmetry issues, according to the arbitrary axes, they're they're pretty much the same thing, I think. Are we not making another error to correct later? It's a a typhoon, not a hurricane in the Pacific. It is. It is a hurricane in... So that's not... That is a hemisphere. So that could be in the northern hemisphere, and therefore it could go the same direction as the hurricane. But you can you can okay. hemi the sphere in in any direction you want. So you can. You can in you know, two days. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in which case you can say nothing about which direction it's going in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's my direction. point. So I don't think there are any more errata originating from our from our correction at this point. I think it's pretty watertight. Although I'd like to disclaim any liability from anybody who has been driving into tornadoes <laughs> in their car, I'm really sorry about everybody. Uh, now, I think there's something pertinent to say about missing babies here. Missing babies in parks. Parks, you know, are known for making babies going missing, and I think it is. Uh, I think it's bald eagles. You know, they're swooping in and picking up kids and taking them off. This is slightly off, off topic even. Right. <laughs> It's not. I mean, there's there's, the, there's a corally point of people getting swept swept up into the air mysteriously here, isn't there? And now you're blaming hawks. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's clean that up. <laughs> so that was our first big mistake. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, what was the other error that you were worried about? I, I can't remember. I did lose sleep over it, however. If that well I don't if know that, why you're does using, that losing sleep over that. I called will, will that I my am penance mother, I am daughter. I I think I think you, <laughs> you did. I mean, uh, will it reduce my penance if I feel bad about what I can't remember? I've got my rosemary bees ready, I'm you know, in case it won't. But yeah, you did call I Am Mother, I am daughter. Which was a genuine mistake. Well what? But perhaps worse on my part. I, I didn't really remember the name of the movie, so I couldn't correct you at the point of during the recording, kind of thing, and you also don't remember the of the movie, the name of the movie this week. Uh, no, I ten Cloverfield Avenue, ten Cloverfield Drive, <laughs> ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll take my tablets. <laughs> uh, so foolishly, I gave us the job of watching two movies this week, and you managed to you did, complete yeah. that task within two or three weeks easily, I think. <laughs> Yes. I, I thought that since you'd already it wasn't seen Cloverfield, Daunting that, It wasn't a no. daunting task. It shouldn't have been. Yeah. No. These are two movies that share a cinematic universe, which is the latest trend in movie making of course. They're both in they're both in the Cloverfield universe. There's a third movie which we didn't see. I wanted to look at both of these movies to ask the first basic question is why are they in the same universe? Let me approach that obliquely. I mean, do you think these kind of uh, multiverses or whatever you want to call them, do you think it's, it's just fan fodder? It's to say, look, you know, the second movie isn't going to sell, but the fans will go for it if we create this larger universe. Is, is, that, the, is, that, the, is that the financial imperative behind this all, do you think? That's the opposite of the way it used to work It used to be yeah. that studios Were worried that no one would go And see the second one Or you'd get a diminishing audience Because people would assume if they have not seen the yeah. first one They they you know no point in going uh... to see the second one That's how they used to think But now it seems to be flip reversed Now that, that I think Everything is cross-selling everything I mean like the Marvel movies You could watch in any order right And it still would make about as much sense it would, but what, uh, my point is, I I mean, f- for fans, isn't the attraction to spot the continuity errors? <laughs> but then, w- there's literally no continuity between the two well, Cloverfield yes, movies we watch. Uh, as we're going to come to, I think, you know, two, two, two. well, let's just say two completely unrelated movies. I mean, that would be <laughs> my conclusion here. Let's start then with Clo- uh, Cloverfield, the first one. <clears throat> this is a j j ah, abrams yes uh, and arguably not a, a sci-fi movie you might say it's like a horror movie now did j j abrams do 10 cloverfield lane yeah he produced he produced 10 cloverfield lane which ah. i think is to say he was peripherally involved but not very uh, Matt Reeves was the director of this first one. I've got no idea who he is. Guy Riddle was the executive uh, producer. This was the guy that had the insight to spend a middling budget to get a large return on Cloverfield, because it, it was a box office hit, was it? No? It was a smash. Yeah. <clears throat> this is. Uh, it was done in 2008, and it 2008. was written by... It was written by who? Well, I, I can't read my writing. Somebody, somebody Goddard. Which is the guy who wrote The Martian screenplay. No way. Yeah, yeah. well, you told me that during the, the first podcast. Curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. So there's a multiverse not just in the movie, but in the making of the movie. <laughs> I think that, is, that's generally true of films. Yeah, it, we have fallen down a surprised. rabbit hole from which we can never escape. Okay, so it does star T.J. Hooker. <laughs> T.J. No, Miller, yeah. T.K. Maxx. It stars T.K. <laughs> TJ T.J. Miller, thank you. Uh, who we all know now, as you said the, that he was uh, problematic and he 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 well, he's been cancelled right? hasn't he he has been culture cancelled uh I, I we all know tj Maxx from is it tk or TK, tj max tj miller no the shop is it tk or tj max tk max tk max yes so he is problematic you know uh, we know him well, i presume people know him from uh, the fabulous series silicone silicone valley oh you're a fan of that yeah or Silicon Valley. That's where you know. That's where I you know. love that. Well, so rather like John Goodman always playing John Goodman, uh, TJ Miller kind of always plays TJ Miller. Yes. So he's the he's the actor that we never really see. Is this a horror movie or ah uh, or a sci-fi? This is without. Do you throw it out? Do you reject it? This is without doubt a horror movie, but not a particularly scary one. I think you could argue almost all sci-fi is is another genre as well. And m- most of them are horror in some ways. Part the, part yeah. of the reason for sci-fi being sci-fi is that it ends up with some kind of confrontation of a fear or something that you know, being turned into a robot or downloaded or you know, the world being destroyed or that, I think sci-fi is mm-hmm. a, it's almost a subgenre of horror in some ways. Yeah, existentialist horror I would say. And it's an alien invasion, so... It, I think that classes as sci-fi. Oh, okay, so... Okay, let's call it horror with sci-fi stylistics. Do you accept that? Let me give you a better word for this movie, and that's a kaiju movie. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, you know kaiju film genre, right? Uh, well, let me guess. Uh, Godzilla? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the example of the genre. Right? Uh-huh. So Godzilla is obviously a Japanese movie. Kaiju is the Japanese yeah. term for this genre, and yeah. it, it's a popular sort of media criticism kind of thing to say that the Japanese kaiju movies are a response to the to atomic bombing in Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima. Which, Hiroshima. Uh, 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 this weekend, actually, when we we're recording, is actually the anniversary. Isn't it? But I- I'm not sure I completely agree with that analysis. Because, as you say, King well, Kong... Stop, proposed... hold your horses just one second. Well, okay, so King Kong, but let me go on. Okay, what about the big marshmallow man, I don't know his name, in Ghostbusters? Is that kaiju? Yes, it is, but it's a, it's a parody, and it's long after any of... Well, is it not, not a parody of World? Return of the Blob? I don't know that movie, but is that a kaiju Well, that's a, movie that's as a well? classic... That, well, that's a classic 1950s America schlock B-movie, isn't it? You know, the blob, you know, the big jelly, the big blanc jelly that rolls down the street kind of thing. But is kaiju just a, a Japanese thing, or, or is it a more... Is there something more fundamental about these movies? The kaiju genre typified by Godzilla is the big monster coming in and stamp- stamping on the city blocks and stuff, isn't it? Sure, I'm sure uh-huh. these are archetypal, aren't they? You know, I mean... If this is a kaiju movie, and if kaiju movies are this kind of response to city-wide destruction, you're yes. supposed to see Cloverfield as a response to 9-11, as... aren't we? Yeah, which is how I do see it. Why, though? Interesting, but why? I mean, obviously, it, it, it has to be in some ways. But all movies set well, I think, in New York I think... with a disaster theme... Five years after 2000 and September thousand and one. I think I, I think for some reason, for some of the shots, some of the shots where where, where uh, they're covered in dust and there's confusion and the big building collapsing yeah. towards them, I think was basically a recreation of some of the footage because of course there wasn't a lot of mobile footage back then. Some of the footage of nine eleven, you see, that's for me what confirms to me that it is. A memorial to 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 nine uh, eleven. The dust. I think you've you've nailed it. Yes, the dust, isn't it? That more than anything, that is the image that people remember from nine eleven. And and I don't think you would have seen that in a movie like this before nine uh, before nine no. eleven. It wouldn't have been it part wouldn't. of the the visual kind of vocabulary of, of a disaster. Yeah. movie it wasn't part of our cultural lexicon, was it? You know, the idea that when things explode, we all get covered in. That, you know, carpet thickness of dust, you know, uh, we didn't know, did we? And because uh, th- 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 things really uh, hot up in Cloverfield when uh, the Statue of Liberty's head winds up in the street. Precisely. That's the other, yeah, that's the other big hint that it is, you know, a kaiju about or m- memorialising uh, what happened in 9-11, I think. So for me, I, I think you have to conclude that it is uh, about, or it is a reflection on nine eleven. So the other genre that this movie is definitely a part of is something which I keep going on about, like I'm obsessed, I possibly am, which is it's another found footage genre movie. Ah, which is different from handheld. Oh, that's my other correction. That's my other correction. I, I did refer to all this as cinema verite, which, again, is a subset or a subclade of a, a, more, a more general general. Uh, class, which is direct cinema, none of which refers to handheld camera, camera, camera shots. Anyway, sorry, back to where you were going, Richard. The reason I go on about found footage is I quite like it. Yeah. I know it, it has its critics, and I think you said of this movie that you were sick of the shaky cam stuff. Uh, but I, at times, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy the commitment to that concept. Yeah, this Cloverfield does it. The Blair Witch Project, which is you know, the torchbearer in some ways for found footage, does it really well. And they carried it right through to the marketing as well. You know, so they made out like it was found footage uh, and made a real virtue of some of the weirdnesses about how you have to do that. I, I think it did it very well. It's just I got sick of it. You know, I, I, Most of the time I enjoyed the fact... That it was found footage, but I just got a little bit sick of some of the handheld shake at times. Other times, I thought it worked really well, particularly when the limited—you know—they used the the handheld view to really limit the the uh, the perspective we had, with the monster was behind the camera, kind of thing. And those those moments of tension really worked, I thought. So I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm coming down a little too hard on it, but it just sometimes you just wish, oh God, you know, for a gimbal and. Please a gimbal, please. You know, try just, <laughs> just, just, just stop shaking it. You know, you you can't you can't do it properly and 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 give up on those those little things. <laughs> Which is what we said about you, or rather, what you pointed out about Europa Report, isn't it? A, a, a film. A yeah, they half-assed it, episode. and it was absolutely crap. Yeah, yeah. because all so you I'm end up with your little that. inserts of, yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's the worst of both worlds to have. You know, a lot of boring <laughs> locked off shots interspersed with a lot of really low quality crappy shots. That's the worst thing. You know. Commit to the idea and do it fully and, and then I'm I'm with you. So it is horror, but I think I think uh, if you look at the story, there is no story. It's just it's just so simple. It's okay, she's got separated from us, we have to go and rescue her. It's a bit silly to do it, but we're gonna do it anyway because I'm a brave knight in shining armor. And But no, there is a story, man. Oh, there yeah. isn't a story. But, but you need to unpack it for me because I don't quite understand. Right? There's a romance going on between that guy and the, the girl. And you see the, the snippets at the start of their relationship. Okay, and let's just see... stop there and name some people. Hood is the guy behind the camera, T.J., played by T.J. Miller. Uh, He's the best actor, although we don't actually see him. I mean, T.J. Miller is, whatever you think about the allegations, is a seriously good actor. And I think he steals the movie. So you're talking about Jessica, I think. Well, I'm talking about the couple that we see at the beginning. on the Okay, the the central... Yeah. The central lead characters, yeah. The knight and uh, and his damsel in distress, yeah. So, yeah, so he's about to head off to Japan, so they're having a farewell party. So, and the great thing about the found footage is this. And this is what I think is really well done about the found footage is uh, it's a VHS or something, or it's a digicam, or it's you know it's a cinecam they're recording on. We'll get to anachronisms later. But you know, as they're recording the horrible, horror, horror horrible, horrible events that unfold, uh, they're taping over the romantic, the romantic meeting, the the romantic date that the two of them have had that's been recorded previously and so as the camera starts and stops we get to see the the bits of the previous recording that haven't been sort of taped over and that's very well done I thought I like that it's a clever way of introducing this uh, like emotional backstory I like that which Arguably, didn't need to exist. I don't know. Well, they liked it too because they they do it about four or five times in the movie. You know, we head back to them on you know on the merry go round, having a really fun date, and you get this counter counterpoint between the happiness and 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 uh, this, and the grotesque situation they're in now. I, I liked that. I liked it. It was it was it was artistic. I thought that this was a big goof that they made, and I'm not totally alone in that because. At the very start of the movie, there's a little caption that comes up, yeah, and it's all part of the found footage uh, fabrication thing that it, it it claims to be from the Department of Defense, saying that they found this uh, footage in Central Park, and ah yes. it says that it's on an SD card. If you have a camera that's recording to an SD card, you it don't starts get to the, the end, yeah. It starts Yeah, yeah. every yeah. every clip would be a different would be a different section. It would be a different file. Intercut. Exactly. You wouldn't intercut between stuff you hadn't wow. rewound over and taped over. Wow, that is a big double anachronism there, isn't it? That's like a wow, gosh. So I looked this up and I tried to figure stuff out. Yeah. Now, if you <laughs> look on IMDb at the uh, at the Goofs page, yeah, this is listed as incorrectly regarded as Goofs. Wow! But if you read the explanation of why it's incorrectly regarded, someone says that it's because the military transferred the tape, the tape that was in the camera, to a, an SD card. Ah. Which is, just, I, that's a bit contrived, right? I don't that, really understand. It's a goof. Come on, <laughs> beyond reasonable doubt, this jury is sending them down for a goof. You know, I, if it's a goof, just admit it. You know, don't don't get your friend. In whatever Hollywood studio you work for, to write for write a page for IMDb saying it's not a goof. I mean, come on, <laughs> which is exactly what's happened. We, they didn't need that screen. They did not need the screen because saying that of all the goof page writers, speaker. which which person writing goof pages ever defends a goof like that for for a film company? Nobody. You know, it's obvious. There's a stooge in there writing writing these retractions and denials. That's megalomania, isn't it, in Hollywood? Now, this movie is set in 2017. It was, it was released in uh, 2008, rather. 2008 it was set in 2007. April, May 2007. 2007, oh. weirdly, is the first year that a camera, a consumer-level camera in high def with an SD card recording medium was released by Panasonic. Is it? Wow, that recent. Well, in a, yeah, exactly. So before that time, all cameras would have been tape. They would, it, so it would have been on DV cassette or something. So it has to be a tape camera. But and this and two thousand seven seven is a year when you would expect most cameras to be tape cameras. So there we go. That's the science in this movie. <laughs> there, there probably was some awareness of the fact that it was problematic to present this as found footage from an SD card rather than. You're saying that maybe somebody was aware of this when they were making the movie? I think when it was written, it was expected that cameras would have tapes in them. And so it made sense. I don't know where that test card and that... Because, of course, the test card is another of those things that we've seen in the other movies that had found footage kind of pretensions. But what you know, once again, we got a test card, and then we got this caption saying it was on an SD card. But that's the only reference to SD card in the entire movie. So I don't know what that caption page was doing in there. It doesn't need to be that. Okay, so can I move on now to timestamps? Okay. Anachronism is a very powerful timestamp. Anachronism is a very powerful timestamp because it wouldn't be easy to recreate these anachronisms unless this movie had been made in 2007. And because they're so recent, like when we're watching Snow White or Wizard of Oz, it's from a different world, because it's so long ago. We, d- we don't see those anachronisms as being very jarring. But the amount of anachronism in this movie, um, because it's close, but not quite close enough to how we live today, really set it in 2007. Richard, did you notice any anachronism in the movie? No, I don't think so. Oh. I tried I thought the camera was an, oh. an anachronism, but it proved not to be so much. Well, it was more about the behaviour around a camera. You know, one... The first anachronism was he's leaving to Japan, so they're having a testimonial party because they're never going to see him again or speak to him again. I just found this idea kind of really jarring. It's like, (laughs) can you... I mean... Even mum and dad could call him on Skype these days, you know what I mean? And the rest of us could have <laughs> It's a not proper... like the 18th century, yeah. It's not, you know, it's like, oh, he's leaving for Japan on a whaling boat, you know. It's like, we better have a, <laughs> a testimonial goodbye party and record what we think about him for posterity, you know. It was very strange. And like he's dead. Like yeah. he's dead, you know. Yeah. Like they couldn't just. I mean, 2007, you could have a Skype call, couldn't you? I think. You certainly could call mobiles from Skype, so it's like, oh, do remember to call me, like you know, like that was the weird thing. And then uh, uh, Hood, who is T.J. Miller's character, who was, he said, you know, I'm documenting this party i.e. I'm videotaping the party. So this idea of documenting a party I thought really stands out from today where, of course, you know, everybody just takes out their Everyone will be taking it. At all what? times to take 15 second snapshots of a party, you know, so it was weird. Okay. So the other thing was uh, one of the characters was stuck in 1992. You know, all all her mannerisms were just uh i can't remember. Her, her name was Marlena the name of the character was Marlena and it she was like she was auditioning to be a, a drummer in sonic youth or something you know she twirled her hair and she sort of sat cross-legged on the floor and she obviously had a very bad diet and a poor choice of footwear not a good choice if you're running away from monsters and she probably ate Pop-Tarts ironically whilst watching cable TV, channels from LA kind of thing you know, it was very she was a very indie chick you know And I don't think indie chicks existed in 2007 did they? Of course, the Except in Pete Doherty's dungeon presumably (laughs) (laughs) The other thing about the cell phone usage was that Despite them being inoperative earlier in the film, he ends up making a call while they're in the subway? Yeah. Big problem here. I don't find subway stations empty or full to be creepy. I'm sorry. They're not creepy places. And it wasn't scary. What, not even in the dark tunnel? No. Not even when the little velociraptors turned up in the dark tunnel. Behind you... So there's one moment where the, you know he goes back under the tunnel with Mario Brothers and the uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles to rescue his his damsel in distress and he gets to a apartment block and it's 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 standing at a 45 degree angle which, oh, which yeah. is just gruesomely bad you know for anybody that's, uh, that's that's even vaguely adult to watch that and believe it you know and then they sort of get up there and they're walking down the corridor which is obviously lopsided and they kind of go <laughs> It's like it's rotating. If you've ever seen Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling, that, mood, that <laughs> the video for that, or the MTV video for that, what is it about that building leaning against the other building that strikes <gasps> everyone, I think, as immediately incredible? It's so, it's just nuts, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't half of it have come away from its foundation? Surely, you know. I mean, exactly. Yeah, you, you know, the idea that a building can can lean over like a domino. <laughs> It's just well, it's, it's an crazy. amazing amount of his st- structural integrity, isn't it? You know, yes, uh, yeah, just astonishing, really. Maybe those really kind of old, low-risey kind of high rises that were probably made out of stone. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps that's vaguely plausible. But well, but she does live uh, on the thirty-second floor, doesn't she? So <laughs> yeah. so it's not particularly low-rise. Although I, I accept, you know, that maybe four or five-story buildings could lean against another one. Yeah, yeah, I accept that. But I don't think... This is, I mean, she wasn't even at the top. You know, she's only halfway up. So a 70-storey building could it lean at foot It was literally at 45 degrees, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah the, that was a bad moment. But the part that, you know, the side, the uh, outer side, i.e. the side that wasn't on the lean-to, that was on the uh, external edge, I mean... It was all still connected to the ground, kind of thing, is my point. You know, it's like the foundations had moved slowly up with the building, kind of thing, you know, to, to form a continuous joint yeah. to, to the ground. <laughs> it was awful. So did you spot the little Easter egg at the end of the movie? I didn't know about the golden eggs, sorry, the Easter eggs at the end, Richard. You've been tantalising and, and, and teasing me with this, so please, reveal all. The Easter egg at the end of Cloverfield is... Which, let me interrupt here, you know, uh, golden eggs they're called in China. Or rainbow eggs, even. That's why you keep using the phrase golden egg. I see. So the golden egg at the end of uh, Cloverfield occurs yes. when... After the after the, the action that we've been watching through Shaky Camp is over, yeah. we skip back to the recording of the couple having a nice day out uh, at the fair... They're ah. on a Ferris wheel, and you can see. Obviously, you can see a quite a view from the Ferris wheel as they are laughing and joking. They're doing a sort of selfie, very pre uh, yeah. pre selfie days kind of selfie, but they're recording themselves. In the background, though, you can see a view out over the bay, and you see an object fall from the sky very fast. No way! Splash down into the sea. It's, it's small and subtle. And is it very subtle? Is it is it? Yeah, in- you have to really pay attention but to But see- is it latent or is it salient? Because they're opposites. I mean, is it noticeable oh. or unnoticeable? I'd say, unless it's pointed out, you wouldn't notice it. Oh, so it's latent. I'd wow. Say. So I think the idea is that this is the, then inadvertently recording the, the initial invasion of the alien organism. The first, the first pod. What is the name yeah. of that movie where those eggs are laid inside an old, old people's home? And they hatch in the cocoon. Cocoon. Uh, yeah. Very different movie. Very different movie. <laughs> Very but... different. Sorry, it just reminded me of cocoon a little bit. You know, this is the first little thing arriving to Earth, and obviously it hatches and grows. Presumably, is the is the. I think that's the inference we have to make. Yes. What do we give this movie then? Let's give it a score. or three. What do you give the special effects? Well. Wow. Uh, for documenting the party with handheld whilst there are aliens in the sky. (laughs) Uh, I thought the SFX were very good, actually. Eight or nine. Well done, Kevin Blake, who was the SFX director or VFX director. Yeah, I would say eight is very fair score for the special effects. I think there are bits that look a little bit CGI, but, Uh I mean, it was CGI, so it's probably not surprising. I think the good thing thing is... Better than looking like a man in a suit, right? They didn't go overkill on the number of times the alien appeared, you see, which I thought was good. Well, that's the... As you were saying about uh, being parsimonious with your big bad monster, yes, yeah, um, that's the advantage of the found footage format. Is they can pretend that they can't see it or they're running away from it, so they can't film it. So it's a virtue. They make a virtue of that. I think it's good. So, so yeah, good score there. What's what's the next thing we're going to score? Acting. Rich? Acting. You, you, now you seem to think that the best actor never appears on screen. No, I. I Tj. Tj. Miller take makes the movie. I think. Well, he does literally make the movie. He's the cameraman. (laughs) But, you know, the the emotional tone uh, uh, and the depth of his delivery is... is, To say he's not used, he's not physically there, just shows, you know, what a a powerful voice actor he is, you know. Uh, He's a talent, you know. Uh, So the acting, I thought, was good, generally. So you would give it a... 8.5. Yeah. I'm in a generous mood today. How about you, Rich? I would go with an eight again. I'm generally favourable to Cloverfield, I have to say, and and I think they did a, a decent job. It must have been quite a difficult movie to act in, given the constraints, uh, given you know the shaky cam and the. I mean, I know it's not like they experienced that directly, but I'm sure it's, it must put some constraints on how it gets filmed. Sorry, onto the screenplay. Well, shall we divide it up into the screenplay itself and the plot? I mean, the plot, like I say, I wasn't a big fan of. We okay. don't usually divide the categories anymore, <laughs> oh. and just plot, do we? I mean, the dialogue again was very anachronistic. They were talking uh, in a two thousand and late kind of way. To quote the Black Eyed Peas, I think the dialogue fine. You think so? How, oh, well, how can you tell decade oh. by decade? Oh, it, it was just uh, so of its era. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about that, but oh. but it was filmed oh. in two thousand and eight or two 2000- thousand. So kimonos I mean, and sushi at a party you know just just what they were doing as characters in their 2007 world was just squeamish but that was the time it was filmed that so you I can't know. really blame them for i know but it just cowabunga man do you know what i mean i mean you can only you can only <laughs> like the phrase cowabunga for so many so many times agreed S- same for this what's there this was... got to do with the plot anyway The dialogue, you know, the dialogue, I thought, was a bit stilted and of its time, uh, and didn't really transcend into anything that was more universal, human or universal, or that could be recognised by humans in Papua New Guinea who'd never seen New York, for example. There were no universal themes, though, I don't think. The plot, uh, yeah, not a big fan, really. It was weak, yeah. It was just—it was almost like it was just like having a, a tour, wasn't it? You were just being shown around this event. Yeah, so four for the plot. Uh, so four in total for whatever we were talking about: screenplay, plot, dialogue, plot. I think we call it. Yeah, storyline. Yeah. I'll be slightly more generous. I would give it a five, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm marking it down because although I said it was like a tour, I don't. think yeah. That's a bad thing for this kind of movie to do. But all that emotional stuff didn't really land for me. I mean, that guy, he'd only shagged that girl one time at the start of the movie, as far as we know. That's it. You see, this is the point. He was behaving like a medieval knight, and I love this lady. This She's the lady I will fight for, you know. It just didn't make sense, did it? It didn't carry my credibility. But through. he was going to Japan, and many otaku tend to idolise samurai culture, you see. So maybe he thought he was like, you know gonna learn samurai culture or whatever and so he was talking in that way i don't know it just didn't fit did it 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 didn't fit let's put it that way so overall what would you give it overall overall the whole thing well we haven't talked about the science we usually score the science rich oh we do usually score the science but you know there's very little science in there the the leaning building Mm yeah. the cell phone working underground the cameras i think they got right (laughs) Dust, dust on our clothes, with collapsed buildings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about a giant alien? What science there was mm. was patchy, and there wasn't very much of it. So three for me. Ooh, harsh. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it a four or a five, maybe. As you say, but a four for the building. Yeah, that's a big crime. What about the exploding female, Marlena? Marlena. The- who completely died unnecessary. Because, well, she died because of her we, poor choice of footwear. I like that. I like the fact she died because of that. But go on, exploding exploding women, what do you think about that? We didn't need the extra added peril of don't get bitten. I mean you see like <laughs> soldiers being dismembered and eaten alive and stuff and buildings and people being stepped on and buildings falling over. Right. And you there is a giant need this alien. extra you? peril. It's unnecessary oh, so, it's... I mean just let's just make an actress explode okay but maybe, so, I mean movie... show it they only showed it like uh, in a silhouette like so she was, I think we can see know. how this movie was written. It wasn't written from a script. The script was composed from a Of the images of a focus meeting that said, you know, what plot armour do we need to make this movie work? We need a big monster, we need some action, we need it scary, uh, we need some exploding people, we need, uh, <laughs> you know, we need we need an army fighting it out with a giant monster like Godzilla. Uh, the piecemeal way it's constructed, I think, is fairly obvious. The scaffolding hasn't been taken away, has it? You know, it's still on the outside of the building kind of thing. All of which leads to an overall score of... Six. Yeah, I'd go a bit further than that. I would... I would give it a 6.5. I don't know. I'll tell uh, you why. Uh, because, you know, when Marlene explodes, Marlene and Marlene, when she explodes, they all become hysterical. It's like, it's obvious she was going to explode everybody. Like, why did you not see that happening? You know, it was just, oh, stupid. I thought, you know, babies were going to come out of their tummy, like, you know, ala ala a- a- alien, you know. Yeah. I was disappointed that, that be... we didn't have a spawning aliens coming out of their tummy when she exploded. That would actually give the aliens, what's the word, a motivation for invading, right?
1: Yeah. Which so we
0: didn't really seem to have. They were just killing us rather than using us as as, as hosts for, for, for spawning Rather their, than their having offspring. sex with us, reproducing. Yeah. They were, they, not <sighs> even an anal probe in sight. <laughs> How did you imagine they... What, did, what kind of people did you imagine them to be? Well, it, this is a typical Hollywood kind of problem, isn't it? Yeah. That was a very fancy loft apartment, a huge, somewhere... Yeah, Manhattan or something I mean, what job could they have to support that lifestyle? I don't know, Some... you know We're going back to the idea you know, of friends being cancelled, you know, friends white friends uh, for 385 episodes in a very nice rent controlled apartment That wouldn't happen these days. So these were all very nice white people with with presumably jobs in finance or jobs at the high end of creative media in New York. That kind of thing just doesn't work anymore today, does it? You know, there were no transsexuals. You're right. Uh, Wasn't it white? It was very white. It was all very white. uh, It was just a white movie in in, in very pretty pretty apartments. But there were no transsexuals. There were certainly no people of colour. There was there were no gay people. There were just there were no disabled people. Mm. Or, you know or, or anything really? It was just standard heterosexual couples, and that kind of felt very outdated. And of course, they were dating in a very medieval way too. Oh, let's go to the fairground and have a and have a date day date together. Let's have a let's have an explore <laughs> date together. It was very. I don't know. It just people do people behave like that in two thousand and seven? I don't think they did anyway. Did they? Well, I guess in terms of it being a part of the Cloverfield universe then, 10 Cloverfield Lane is also entirely white, guys and girls. Yeah, so it is... Uh, yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane is, again, kind of very heterogeneous in terms of the kind of actors and actresses that get to play the parts. That's, it is what it is, I guess. 10 Cloverfield Lane starts, again, with a, another mobile phone-related incident, which is poor driving caused by... Lack of attention due to looking at at the phone. So this is the female protagonist and later female hero of the movie, uh, or heroine even. The antagonist and villain is uh, John Goodman. Now he said later in the film you learn that he ran her off the road or he crashed into her or something. So many films rely on a car crash as an important dramatic moment. Is that because car accidents, road traffic accidents are one of the few properly dramatic things that happen these days to... I think of all the tools that you can bring to the plot, you know, collisions, plot collisions are, are the most effective thing. It's, it's to get two people to collide through random chance uh, and bring them into the story. And so the best way to have a plot collision is just to have a collision. You know, it's, it's an easy way to have a plot collision, isn't it? You know, it's to actually have a collision. And the best way to do that is on the road with a car. I mean, otherwise, there's no reason There's no reason to bring her into to John Goodman's gunman's world but he he claims later that he ran into her did he i didn't figure out i couldn't really work out whether he'd like chosen her or all of this seems like the least important thing about the movie which has no real relevance or bearing to the other cloverfield except that if you know that it's part of the cloverfield universe then jod gunman's story that there is an alien or there is some kind of cataclysm happening it seems to, it seems to remove that yes. tension that I thought that that's what the what the film was about was is is this guy crazy or lying to me? Well, this is the great thing about the movie is it it presents two propositions. One, this guy who has brought me back to his uh, bunker, his uh, doomsday prepping bunker, and sealed me in, is crazy and keeping me there and saying there are aliens. Two, there are aliens and this guy is keeping me there to save me from the aliens. I think the great thing about this is you're led to conclude that, ha ha, it's not one, it's not two. It's one and two. You know, the guy is crazy, but the stuff about the aliens is still true. You know, I I like that because it led me down the wrong path. You know, I was forcing myself as I watched it to choose between the two propositions, which was a great magic, you know, in terms of the techniques of magic, that was a great distractor because it led me away from the surprise twist which is yeah he's nuts and he is keeping there against his will for various reasons but there are aliens out there you know i think that's what we're supposed to conclude and that's why i think it is a jacob's ladder because you can never ultimately conclude one is what we're seeing reality or her dreams or her imaginings and two if it is reality what is the nature of that reality is he deluded is she deluded about him or are they both deluded about the aliens being there you know kind of thing so I I liked all those loose ends, Richard. That's what I thought was the strength of the movie. You make an interesting point. I mean, it manages to maintain that tension, even though it seems to have given it away in the previous film. And perhaps it does that, as you say, because you you are given, you think it's a dichotomy when it's not a dichotomy. They managed to maintain the tension about that idea of whether or not John Goodman's story holds. Hold up, whether or not he's, there's really yeah. cataclysm outside his bunker. Despite the fact that fairly early in the movie... There were dead pigs. Sort of long before. The, the dead pigs, yeah, that wouldn't convince most people. There's a zombie the, woman, the, the woman with a, a yeah, dissolving face or something, yeah. You call them zombies. They're not zombies, Paul. They're just, they've just they just been attacked <laughs> by an alien gas. Well, and they're probably about to explode. So I, I, we can call them zombies, or I can. Look, I mean, the point is, this could be her mind, yeah. It, it, it for me, it's still she's still on a ladder, you know. For me, she's definitely still. She is. She was literally on a ladder. Exactly, point, she was literally on window. a ladder. So I think it's it's a specific reference to a Jacob's ladder in the movie, you know. Wow, mm. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So because, if you had been I mean, in that the, bunker with, well, she's, with John Goodman... She's literally a frog in a well, isn't she? You know, a frog in a well. It's a saying, you know, you can only see that part of the sky. And she climbs a ladder like a frog in a well, and she can only see that part of the sky. And the part of the sky she sees has a zombie woman. Who's to say the zombie woman is not in cahoots with John? You know? This is the this is I think it's still she's still on that ladder, very much so. And that's why I think this is very good script writing. This is an example of a movie that was that has a really good writer. Uh, and so it doesn't yes. it doesn't need that many special effects although uh, the special effects that did occur were, were perfectly sufficient i thought for what the movie required well, the, hang on frog in a well that's a phrase it is in Chinese, It's just sorry, another Chinese phrase, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is in Chinese, yeah. Yeah. So the frog at the bottom of the well indicates that you can only see that part of the sky that the, that the well lets you see kind of thing. It's an idea of... It's very wise. Yeah, a very wise kind of Chinese thing. So, so I think, yeah, this, she's definitely still on the ladder, both literally and metaphorically. And you, your theory then is that John Goodman had prearranged with that lady... Potentially. Lady, Potentially, yeah. ...to come to his bunker... And pretend with makeup on, pretend to yes. be suffering, Yes. and then drop over dead, um, yeah. to, just to convince his bunker victim. Well, plot spoiler, you know, the pigs could have been doused in acid, which John had a lot of. So, Absolutely, that's true. The pigs are not a good convincer. They wouldn't have convinced you. You know, so... If you had been in the bunker with John Goodman... And he'd shown you those pigs, what would you have thought? But I, yeah, I just, I, I thought it was a really good movie. You know, the plot device, the, you know, the collision, the, the character collision and the collision in cars. Was it planned? Was it an accident? Was there really an accident anyway? Uh, great. I, I thought it set, I, you, know, I, I, you know, it set the cogs worrying in your mind as you were watching. And it was nicely paced so you could keep up with the movie and kind of think about, you speculate about what you thought at the same time. So, so yeah, almost as you know, almost Hitchcockian in the mastery of the script writing. I thought really good. The toilet arrangements were very interesting. They had a toilet <laughs> in the shower tray. <laughs> yes. Okay. Have you been? Have yeah. You lived in a flat like that? Is that a Chinese thing? <laughs> well, I mean, he's a doomsday prepper. You know, he is a doomsday prepper. That's what this is. A again, a great movie for lockdown. It's you know. a lockdown movie and a half, isn't it? Yeah. Because you know, do's have preppers have been getting a lot of uh, a lot of flak recently, and they shouldn't do because they are not panic buyers. They're the opposite. They're the panic opposite. Buyers. They've you done know. their. Pa- they've got their panic buying out of the way. Well, before three years ago, else. you know, they were not the people <laughs> buying pasta. I promised you four months ago. It was the panic buyers True. and the hoarders, and not even the hoarders. I think hoarders. You know, people who buy. Who coupon eight liters of washing liquid instead of two liters like the rest of us? I don't think they're the problem either, are they? It's people who decide to suddenly become preppers uh, on the outset yes. of a global global pandemic. So let's just condemn those people for one short moment before we continue. You bad people. We should thank the preppers. We for taking some of the, uh, the demand logistical load. Out of the yeah. System for helping with that logistical load. Well done, Preppers, you good people. So yeah, so I mean, acting Goodman plays Goodman. Uh, My feeling was, was this actually his bunker or was he trapped in the horrific mind of Roseanne Barr Metaphorically speaking, you know, were they all trapped? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's this? What's this bunkratch of the mind? Oh, so this is yes. This, this is, is a, a, R- a Roseanne Barr Jacobs ladder. It's, it's actually happening in her mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for me, the best joke of Jacobs ladder is the alternative Friends theory, which I talk about at length, and you've probably heard me natter about before. But I'm mean, listeners maybe haven't, which is that the whole of the Friends seriology, uh, I don't know what you call a series of series, the, the whole of that 2D or your 3D array, whatever it is, of series of friends' series, is in fact just the imaginings of a bag lady called Phoebe, who sat outside Central Park and watching the five rich Manhattanites having a good time, and simply imagining uh, the episodes are simply her imaginings of her being able to be friends with these kind of people that you can never be friends with. So... <laughs> So a crack addict's, oh. a crack addict's uh, Jacob's Ladder. So, yeah, there are many potential Jacob's Ladders here. But you can imagine the mind of Roseanne Barr might be difficult to escape. So this is happening during the death of Roseanne Barr's career. Yes. So she's imagining <laughs> John Goodman in a bunker. There's a lot of focus here on the ventilation of this bunker. Well, right, it's, it's a huge undertaking, Richard, isn't it? You know. it, it is a huge undertaking. Uh, if you wanted to make an airtight... Uh, system that will keep you safe for a year uh, from airborne pathogens. Interesting, they don't drink their own urine. <laughs> no, they, he's got big bowsers of water. Well, in they're going to run out at some point, aren't they? They should start, they should drink their urine, whatever, you know, waste, not to want To start one. off drinking it. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe he reprocesses it somehow. Well, he, he brews his own like. whiskey or moonshine. True. Weird. Odd that he would have to do that. It'd be quite easy to store plenty of store-bought spirits few. So I like this. I like the fact we got a good sense that if you're a prepper, you know, it, the film really went into detail about the technical involvement in being an effective prepper for a doomsday scenario, you know. We all have this kind of experience now, don't we? We, we all. Have, I've had to learn... I mean, what would it take to store a year's worth of food that you would want to eat? I mean, I have difficulty doing it week by week. Well, I mean, we've all become so used to convenience shopping that, yeah, a weekly shop itself is a strange event these days, isn't it? The idea that you write a shopping list and stick to it and just go and buy those things and see, you know, how much have you got left? You know, you do a stock take of, oh, I've got four tins of beans left. My average use per per week is two tins. I want to buy a month's worth, therefore I need to buy another two tins kind of thing. It's like, it's something I think we used to do or our previous generation... The generation Up used to do automatically, I think. But it's a skill we don't possess anymore, is it? You know, I mean, Google does my shopping list for me, kind of thing. So, because the meals that they were making and sharing seemed to have like fresh meat and stuff in them. I guess they could freeze it all if you have got a lot of freezers. I didn't Can notice you freeze that point. A years, years worth of food though. Can you? I don't know. It's not a lot of food. You know, per person, it's what hundred grams of meat per day. It's not a lot. You could. It would. It would only be about a hundred kilos of of meat. It would be one deep freezer of meat. Yeah. You could definitely. It's it's one moose. It's less than one. It's half a moose, cut up into pieces and put in a freezer kind of thing. I think that is doable. Um, but the air is a bigger problem. And um, so he's got this system in his bunker. And this film has a trope that bothers a lot of movies. Which is air vents big enough to crawl through? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, it's a common thing, isn't it? And architecturally, I think it's rare that you would devote enough space to any kind of air vent that a human being could crawl crawl through it. Uh, Most air vents live in suspended ceilings. It's no more than you know, four to six inches tall, isn't it? This is true. So, uh, yes. I, but, I, I, I mean, d- disregarding the uh, impractical and the unreal aspect of these his air vents. Uh, this, I mean, you could excuse this by saying, hey, he's a prepper. Maybe his vents are bigger than normal kind of thing. But uh, what I did like was the tension as she's crawling through the vents and, you know, the the cliches of the stabbing knife came up. That wasn't so good. But then when she gets on the ladder and she's wounded and he's wounded too, and she's going up there really slowly... There were some really nice, old-fashioned, classic movie-making techniques that, you know, had you not on the edge of your seat, but really rooting for it. And I like that. I like the fact that there were some quite traditional ways of making movies here, but very well done and that really worked. And just, it, it, it was just three actors, essentially, in a room. And it wasn't just the plot that allowed that to happen and the script and the dialogue, but some of the techniques they used in the action sequences. I thought it all hung together really well, actually, this movie. And she manages to make, she fashions for herself, uh, a biohazard suit. She does, yes. Scraps of material. And masking tape. And a plastic plastic drinks bottle. Yes. uh, For the respirator. Now, I've just come back from China, and people were doing this during the beginning of this outbreak. You know, they had 5 litre, or sorry, 20 litre water dispensers on top of their heads. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But it seems amazing to me that John Goodman wouldn't have gone to the army and navy surplus and bought a a gas mask and popped it in his... That is a very, very fair point, yeah. Maybe he was so confident in his his air filtration system that he thought, oh, you know, a a, a fallback plan B of gas masks is just not necessary for me. He was so confident in his air filtration (laughs) system that that he built it in a special room that was only accessible by crawling through the air vents, which, big though they were, we're not big enough for John Goodman. Yeah, how did he actually? This is like ship in the bottle kind of thing, isn't it? You know, if he put yeah. the ship in the bottle, how the hell did he ever get out of there? You know, <laughs> if he's too small to get in the bottle. Well, it, it had an, a hatch of its own to the outside that little room. Oh, so he came in so from the outside. Out I see. Because that's the hatch where she found the blood on the inside, saying "Help me." And well, it said "Help," and I was trying to work out which way around it was written. Because your brain reverses it automatically. But I think it actually said pie. Really? So it was on the outside? It, no, it was on... I, it implies it was on the inside. But someone had written... So someone from the outside, thoughtfully, had written it on the inside. So someone on the, the outside, outside could read it. <laughs> yeah. Because when, when you're writing in your own blood, that's the kind of... Forethought that you obviously have, we would, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. plot spoiler, you know, uh, we've been talking a lot about Jacob's Ladder. I, I, here I'm using it as a, as a trope in movies where I, you, you're not quite sure what has happened, and the perspective, the authorial perspective, and, and the perspective from the protagonist. Uh, given the fact, you know, there are different ways of looking at the movie. It's not clear what actually happened. So, so what happened in this movie is potentially John Goodman probably is psycho, and he takes people back to his bunker, which isn't. Or has become a doomsday prepping bunker, but previously was just a rape bunker kind of thing. And he takes people back there to murder them kind of thing. Presumably this blood on the window is one of the previous victims. And then she documents or, or she, she starts to collate evidence or, or look through the resources in his house and finds photos of a girl who has disappeared. Uh, and she's now wearing this girl's used T-shirt kind of thing. So, so we're led very strongly to believe that he is actually a psycho and he has killed some people. I, I think he does admit that at one point in the movie. I think so. He infantilizes her, doesn't he? He doesn't. He won't call her a woman. He stuff. won't. No, they're, right. they're playing that word word game. Uh, I thought that was a bit heavy-handed. It was. But, but the, the, yeah. that, that there was a very nice bit of tension there where you know they imply that he's figured out what they're doing through that that word game. Yes. remember the scene where, you know, I do remember about... the scene. So yeah, so the only weakness I can say about the plot is the amount of plot armor they needed to bring in here, you know. We had aliens, we had uh is he a psycho, we have what I thought was zombies. Uh we had uh toxic air, we had is it all a dream? And again, it was like, well, some of these things might not work, so let's put a few more of them in just in case. I'm not a fan. they should have run with one or two of these and stayed with them, I think. You know why there weren't zombies, Paul? Zombies don't ask you questions and entreat you to let them in. <laughs> you know, zombies are, are like mindless. <laughs> uh okay, they weren't zombies, they were infected people. Yes, that's better. The science of this movie, borderline, I think. You don't think this would you don't think the doomsday prepping was realistically portrayed? I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of doomsday preppers out there with bunkers and stuff who would vehemently disagree with me. <laughs> and, and you, you seem to think you could pop a moose in your in your chest freezer and be and be right for a year. Yes, but I don't know, man. I, I think you'd be quickly bored of pasta and moose, and I don't know how you could. Obviously, you could get by, but hmm. I think you'd you'd adjust your expectations, wouldn't you? You know, you'd look outside and, and see the dead bodies and think, well, OK, it's not great cuisine, but I prefer, <laughs> you know, moose and pasta to, you know, being dead in a field. You know, I, I think you would definitely adjust your expectations in defense of fresh water, you know, fresh water and air and the air filtration stops. But thankfully, he had a little girl. Well, he thinks her so as a little girl to go through the air vents to switch it back on again. <laughs> well, that was a necessary plot element, wasn't it? You know, that had to break down that so she could find a way out. You know, so and could she make a suit which would protect her from that virulent alien material that got sprayed? No, no, she couldn't. But that acid that he dissolved Emmett in what acid was it? Is a specific acid perchlorate Acid. And what acid, what is that? I think what he said about it was true. I think it is a uh, precursor to like fuel for rockets or something. Wow! And well, that was his it's... backstory, wasn't it? That's why that's why he was so able to do this because he he'd been a technical guy in the navy previously, hadn't he? And working for some satellite division. That's right. Yeah. And that well, that perchlorate acid is pH minus nine. Is that a thing? I didn't even know it went minus. But wow. No. Wait, it's, it's a it's acid. a it's a log like decibel scale, isn't it? So you sh- potentially should be able to go minus nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wowzers! Gosh. So, uh, what's the what's the chili scale? Is it the Scots? The Scoville. Scale. Scoville. Thank you. Yeah, it's also a logarithmic. It's also a log scale, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in terms of science, okay, I agree with you. You know, uh, mostly, and I accept that maybe air vents aren't that big, so. So, yeah. And the aliens, here's the end of the movie. The end of the movie where, finally, unless, as you say, it's all in her mind for some crazy reason, finally she gets out of the bunker. I think at this point, aliens. I think by the end we're supposed to say it's not in her mind. And there really are aliens. Exactly. But those aliens bear no resemblance to the alien and the little aliens in the first movie. Or am I am I wrong? It seemed to me like they were completely different. Completely different, yeah. Yeah. So what's what is the connection? There is no connection, you know. The stylistics... Other than the fact that it's called Ten Cloverfield Lane, yes, the stylistics are completely mailbox. different. The movie, topic and subject and approach—it's all completely different. It's it its not a sequel. This is the point. I mean, no, it's not. It's In simply part of a franchise, a loose franchise. And to what extent is this a science fiction movie? Ooh, I would say this is a science fiction movie. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but (laughs) I had to go one way or the other. Did you like this more or less than the first one? More. More, 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 more. So we're expecting better scores. We are. Is it it that time again? Is it time to score this lovely movie? You know, the thing about this movie, this is similar to I Am Mother, right? It's a claustrophobic, it's a lockdown movie. It's great lockdown, yeah. It's great lockdown watching where, yeah. It's really a, psycholo- a psychological thriller. That's why I said Hitchcockian, you know. I, th- I thought there was lots yeah. of Hitchcock in this. Uh, there's not much real action, but that's for the better in some ways. Well, there's some am- there's some ankle groping by two disabled people in a- <laughs> up a ladder, you know. I thought it was a great idea to slow the action down and really extend it for three or four minutes. Just, you know, make sure they can only do one rung every ten seconds kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... As a consequence, we've, like, covered the main points. You know, there's not much... There's not to much to say, about. is there? No. So, scores. 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 Yeah, so I think we've got to score 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay, well, let's... I mean, John Goodman never disappoints, so... So, were you going to say, let's start with actors? Yeah. What would you be giving this film, then? Oh, nine for the acting, without a doubt. Nine? Yeah. It was good. Good acting. Yeah. Uh, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays Michelle. Well done, Mary. Yeah, I would give it an 8. Good. Okay, so now onto that big uh, sort of global, cloudy score called Screenplay Plot Dialogue. Yes. Well, much, much better than Cloverfield. So I think I'm also going to give it an 8, maybe an 8.5. Yeah, the structural integrity of this screenplay was 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 was, was great. It was uh, Tony Tiger great. Uh, dialogue, I thought, was much stronger too. You know, I, I felt that they had voices... And what they said related to who they were as characters so yeah just just and and uh, the plot itself great edge of seat stuff at times so so for me it was an eight and a half i'm I'm thinking back now about about the third character Emmett who as you say gets shot and his I kind of was uh, glad about that I didn't like him can I say that I think that's okay to say is it gonna be taken down in wasn't... evidence? Was it left ambiguous as to why he was in there, or how he ended up with a broken arm, or did they explain that? I feel that's a dangling thread in my uh, in the back of my mind. Oh, wow! He was in there for a reason, but I can't remember what it was. Sorry, I didn't do my homework. Did I? I should have been watching more carefully. I think it's not. That... It's not all that important, though, is it? The no, the why we don't remember? it. Well, it is if you don't believe that any of this stuff being presented. From the again, old, again, yeah, if, it, if it's all a Jacob's Ladder scenario... <laughs> it is, then it is very important that he's playing a part or... or, or... It means it's symbolic in some way. Yeah. Symbolism we don't understand. And are doomed never to understand. So yeah, what about the action, Richard? How would you score the action? There's very little of it. It's yeah. a lot of crawling through, uh, Does it through air vents. Yeah, look, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. I'm hearing a seven coming from your... From your... Do you buy the way that she made a Molotov cocktail and chucked it into the moor of the alien at the end? That's the big action piece, isn't it? Oh yeah, that was crap actually, wasn't it? I forgot about that. <sighs> I'll give it a 6.5 on the action scale. It's not yeah. where this movie lives or dies but that's where I am. Okay, I'm going to go 7. What about the effects? Mostly okay. I mean, there were, again, it didn't have a lot of work to do. The aliens at the end were again a bit CGI, especially that Think the big one. I'll give it a. I'll give it a seven, though. G- generally, felt real, didn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go for a six on that. And lastly, how about the science? I just don't know about you know whether you could live on your own or hmm. is living what on your touching... own harder than living with three people? I, I what know. what a touchy about vulnerability from Richard here. <laughs> An I that he I... doesn't. He doesn't know the science to this. So, uh, well, I guess I basically live on my own and have done for <laughs> 20 years, so maybe it's not so crazy. So go on, I'll give it a seven. I mean, I think here is, uh, you know, was the doomsday signs correct or not? It's not that. Was it persuasive, I think, is the question here, you know? Was it uh, co- was it cogent, and did it make a robust... Was the presentation of the signs robust or not? Not was it correct. I think it's a diff- different issue, is it? We are talking about filmmaking. And for me, it was. You know, I, I, I believe that... Most of it was, if not accurate, then, then representational. So for me, eight. Overall score, then, what would you ooh. give it? Ooh, ooh, definitely an 8.5. I'm not sure if that's higher or lower than like, what I gave for Cloverfield 1. I can't remember what I scored that one. Yeah, I I think we scored it around seven, six or seven, didn't we? We did, yeah. yeah I so agree, this is, this is much mm. a much better film. So this is rare, so, isn't yeah. it? A sequel that is better than the original. Again, you can't really call it a sequel, can you? Exactly, it, yeah. It's it's a loose connection to the franchise, but the story doesn't follow, so it it seems to set itself up for a sequel of its Instalment. own. Installment. We can call, definitely call it Installments, the, the second installment. The end of the movie where she's going off following that radio message to try and find other Yeah, survivors. that's nuts. That's a real Sarah Connor moment that's not necessary, isn't it? It feels like the beginning of a series of its own, a TV series yeah. maybe. It, t- it does feel very TV series, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the littlest hobo. She—it's a littlest hobo moment. And maybe tomorrow I'll settle down. You know, off she goes to her next. She's gonna find another prepper bunker. And... Yeah, off she goes to her next prepper bunker, and the next thirty minutes of uh, Lassie, you know, kind of thing. Lassie littlest hobo moment. Yeah, terrible, awful. That was that was a really naff moment. They could have cut it. They could have cut the movie, you know, thirty seconds earlier than that, and it would have been. Yeah. Fine. Well, listen. I'm going to give Ten Cloverfield Lane an eight point five myself. Oh, your score, yeah, yeah. I so recommend... we agree. Yes, your second instalment is better than the first, which cannot be said for Jaws too. This wraps up these two movies. You're right. Uh, time for a Perland and Dean trailer, and I'll do this trailer by way of choice presented to Richard next week, Richard. Which will be episode potentially four or four B or three C. I don't know, depending on how many how many episodes we cut this one into Uh, can I present a choice to you hold on you already said you were going to choose Dune yeah so I already watched it and wrote notes and stuff Um, oh great so it's Dune no I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking no give me the choice give me the choice I'd love to hear and I'll tell you why I I would like a choice at this point why would you like a choice oh well I mean Dune surely can't fall into the category of sci-fi movies you've missed over the last 20 years ah but that wasn't our original mission statement was it i thought you were wanting to watch all these movies that you you'd fail to see you were catching up the thing about dune is it's a david lynch movie and that's got to recommend it so let's just stay with dune 2000 1984 shall we because it, oh okay there's because there's a new version coming a, out is that- 2020 villeneuve I think it's Villeneuve, is coming out with the Dune 2020. Well, Villeneuve is the guy who did uh, Arrival, which we... Panned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's Villeneuve. It'd be interesting to see if it's delayed or not, given the pandemic. But I think it is coming out late this year. Yeah. Dune it is, and Dune it will be. So please, everybody, stay tuned for next week. When uh, we'll be dissecting uh, the the amazing <clears throat> visual effects of June 1984.
1: Until next <laughs> week.
0: Yes. Uh, see you next time, guys.